Chapter 2 of The Heart of the Ancient Wood This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Sandra, near Montreal, 2022. The Heart of the Ancient Wood by Charles G. D. Roberts Chapter 2 The Cabin in the Clearing Though a spur of black, uncompromising spruce woods gave it near shelter on the north, the harshly naked clearing fell away from it on the other three sides and left the cabin bleak. Not a shrub nor a sapling broke the bareness of the massive log walls whence the peeling bark hung in strips that fluttered desolately to every wind. Only a few tall and ragged weeds, pale green and with sparse whitish-gray seed-heads straggled against the foundation logs. The rough deal door sagged on its hinges half open. The door-sill gaped with a wide crack, rotted along the edges, and along the crack grew a little fringe of grass, ruthlessly crushed down by old Dave's gaudy bundle. The two small windows still held fragments of glass in their sashes, glass thick with spider's webs and captive dust and the debris of withered insects. The wide-eaved roof, well built of split cedar slabs, with a double overlay of bark, seemed to have turned a brave front to the assault of the seasons, and showed few casualties. Some thirty paces to one side stood another cabin, lower and more roughly built, whose roof had partly fallen in. This had been the barn, this with a battered lean-to of poles and interwoven spruce boughs against its southerly wall. The barn was set down at haphazard, in no calculated or contenting relation to the main building, but just as the lay of the hillocks had made it simplest to find a level for the foundations, all about it grew a tall, coarse grass, now grey and dryly rustling, the brood of seeds which in past years had sifted through the chinks from the hay stored in the loft. The space between the two buildings, and for many square yards about the cabin door, was strewn thick with decaying chips through which the dock and plantain leaves, hardy strangers from the settlement, pushed up their broad obtuse intrusion. Over toward the barn lay the bleached skeleton of a bobsled, the rusted iron shoe partly twisted from one runner and in the centre of the space where the chips gathered thickest and the plantains had gained least ground, lay a split chopping log, whose scars bore witness to the vigour of a vanished axe. The old lumberman fetched a deep breath, depressed by the immeasurable desolation. His eye wandered over the weedy fields, long fallow and the rugged stump lots aflame here and there with patches of goldenrod and crimson fireweed. To him these misplaced flares of colour seemed only to make the loneliness more forlorn, perhaps by their association with homelier and kindlier scenes. He leaned on his axe and pointed indefinitely with his thumb. Squat here, and farm yon, said he with contemplative disapproval. I'd see myself further first, but Kirsty Crags got grit for ten men. Then he pushed the door open, lifting it to ease the hinge, and stepped peeringly inside. As he did so, a barn swallow flickered out through a broken pane. The cabin contained two rooms, one much smaller than the other. 
The ceiling of the smaller room was formed by a loft at the level of the eaves, open toward the main room which had no ceiling but the roof of slabs and bark. Here, running up through the east gable, was a chimney of rough stone, arched at the base to contain a roomy hearth, with swinging crane and rusted andirons. A settle of plank was fixed along the wall under the window. Down the middle of the room, its flank toward the hearth, ran a narrow table of two planks, supported by unsmoothed stakes driven into the floor. In the corner farthest from the chimney, over against the partition, was a shallow sleeping bunk, a mere oblong box partly filled with dry red pickings of spruce and hemlock. The floor was littered with dead leaves and with ashes wind drifted from the hearth. Old Dave went over and glanced into the bunk. He found the spruce pickings scratched up toward one end and arranged as they would be for no human occupant. Critter's been sleeping here, he muttered. Then laying down his bundle, he turned his attention to the hearth, and soon the old chimney tasted once more after its long solitude the cheer of the familiar heat. It was now close upon sundown, and the lumberman was hungry. He untied the grimy, many-coloured quilt. Kroof, the she-bear, had been right in her surmise as to that bundle. It did contain pork, a small, well-salted chunk of it, and presently the red and white streaked slices were sputtering crisply in the pan, while the walls and roof saturated themselves once more in old remembered savours. By the time the woodman had made his meal of fried pork and bread and had smoked out his little pipe of blackened clay, a lonely twilight had settled about the cabin in the clearing. He went to the door and looked out. A white mist rising along the forest edges seemed to cut him off from all the world of men, and a few large stars at vast intervals came out solemnly upon the round of sky. He shut the door, dropped the wooden latch into its slot, and threw a dry sliver upon the hearth to give him light for turning in. He was sparing of the firewood, remembering that Kirsty, when she came, would need it all. Then he took his pipe from his mouth, knocked out the ashes, wiped the stump on his sleeve and put it in his pocket, took off his heavy boots, rolled himself in the coloured quilt, and tumbled comfortably into the bunk, untroubled by any thought of its previous tenants. No sooner was he still than the mice came out and began scampering across the loft. He felt the sound homely and companionable, and so fell asleep. As he slept, the deep, undreaming sleep of the wholesomely tired, the meagre fire burned low, sank into pulsating coals, and faded into blackness. It was perhaps an hour later that old Dave sat up, suddenly wide awake. He had no idea why he did it. He had heard no noise. He was certainly not afraid. There was no tremor in his seasoned nerves. Nevertheless, he was all at once absolutely awake, every sense alert. He felt almost as if there were some unkindred presence in the cabin. His first impulse was to spring from the bunk and investigate. But doubtless because he had spent so great a portion of his life in the forest and because he had all that day been subtly played upon by its influences, another instinct triumphed. He followed the immemorial fashion of the folk of the wood and just kept still, waiting to learn by watching. 
He saw the two dim squares of the windows, and once imagined that one of them was for an instant shadowed. At this he smiled grimly there in the dark, well knowing that among all the forest folk there was not one, not even the panther himself, so imprudent as to climb through a small window into a shut-up place all reeking with the fresh and ominous scent of man. Still he listened in that movelessness which the haunted neighborhood had taught him. The scurrying of the mice had ceased, there was no wind, and the darkness seemed all ears. The door presently gave a slow, gentle creaking, as if some heavy body pushed softly against it, trying the latch. The woodsman noiselessly reached out, felt the handle of his axe, leaning by the head of the bunk. But the latch held, and the menacing furtive pressure was not repeated. Then, upon the very middle of the roof, began a scratching. A light rattling of claws and footfalls went padding delicately over the bark. This puzzled the woodsman, who wondered how the owner of those clawed and velveted feet could have reached the roof without some noise of climbing. The soft tread, with an occasional scratch and snap, moved up and down the roof several times. And once, during a pause, a deep breath, ending with a sharp, sniffing sound was heard through the thin roof. Then came a muffled thud upon the chips as of the drop of a heavy animal. The spell was broken, and old Dave rose from the bunk. It's jumped down off the roof. Wildcat, maybe, or lynx. No painters round, tain't likely, though it did sound heavy for a cat, said he to himself as he strode to the door axe in hand. Fearlessly he threw the door open and looked out upon the glimmering night. The forest chill was in the air, the very breath and spirit of solitude. The mists gathered thickly a stone's throw from the cabin. He saw nothing that moved. He heard no stir. With a shrug of the shoulders he turned, latched the door again with just a trifle more exactness of precaution than before lounged back to his bunk and slept heedlessly till high dawn. A long finger of light, coldly rosy, came in through a broken pane to rouse him up. When he went outside, the mists yet clung white and chill about the clearing, and all the weed tops were beaded with thick dew. He noted that the chips were disturbed somewhat, but could find no definite track. Then, following a grassy path that led through a young growth of alder to the spring, he found signs. Down to the spring and beyond into the woods, a trail was drawn that spoke plain language to his wood-wide scrutiny. The grass was bent, the dew brushed off by a body of some bulk, and going close to the ground. Painter, he muttered, knitting his brows and casting a wary glance about him. Reckon Christie'd better bring a gun along. All that day Dave Titus worked about the cabin and the barn. He mended the roof, patched the windows, rehung the door, filled the bunk, and the two similar ones in the smaller room, with aromatic fresh green spruce tips, and worked a miracle of rejuvenation upon the barn. He also cleaned out the spring and chopped a handy pile of firewood. An old sheep pen behind the barn he left in its ruins, saying to himself, What with the bars and the painters, Kirsty ain't going to want to mess with sheep, I reckon. 
She'll have lots to do to look after her critters. By critters he meant the cow and the yoke of steers, which were Christie Craig's property in the settlement, and which, as he knew, she was to bring with her to her exile in the ancient wood. That night, being now quite at home in the lonely cabin, and assured as to the stability of the door, Dave Titus slept dreamlessly from dark to dawn in the present fragrance of his bunk. From dark to dawn the mice scurried in the loft, the bats flickered about the eaves, the unknown furry bulks leaned on the door or padded softly up and down the roof, but troubled not his rest. Then the wild folk began to take account of the fact that the sovereignty of the clearing had been resumed by man, and word of the new order went secretly about the forest. When next morning Dave Titus made careful survey of the clearing's skirts, calculated what brush and poles would be needed for Kirsty's fencing, making rough guesses at the acreage and noting with approval the richness of the good brown soil, he thought himself alone. But he was not alone. Speculative eyes, large and small, fierce and timorous, from all the edges of the ancient wood, kept watch on him. End of chapter 2